are in the third part of our series, Shaken But Not Stirred, and it's a series about building an active faith, a faith that endures through tough times in this life, and it prepares you for that life that is to come. And last week, we talked about the importance of exercising your faith, that is, putting into practice your confident belief that Jesus is who he said he was, and that God is able and willing to do what he says he will do. And we talked a little bit about the definition of faith. You remember unicorns, etc. cetera. Um, and I'm always concerned, I guess, that uh, Christians, church people, uh, we use these buzzwords without really understanding what they mean. Uh, and I, so I just want to talk a little bit more about faith as we get into things this morning. Uh, I can remember as a kid, right, driving through really, really, you know, not me driving, but being in the car, really, really bad storms. You ever been in one of those storms where you're driving and like it's coming down so hard, everybody's got their flashers on and you can't hardly see what's in front of you uh, and, you know, wind is blowing against the, the vehicle uh, and it's just torrential. Uh, and I've driven through those as an adult. Uh, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was out in Utah. And uh, it was, believe it or not, it was Memorial Day 2019. Uh, and we were in uh, Zion National Park and we're heading up uh, to, I think it was Coral, Coral Reef National Park. Anyway, we were heading up that way. Uh, I drove around a bend into a blizzard. And I'm talking about an honest-to-goodness blizzard. Not like, oh, you know, there's some flurries, isn't that pretty? I'm talking about a blinding blizzard. And for a Florida boy who had, you know, I've, I've seen snow two or three times, right? Uh, it's pretty uh, overwhelming, right? I mean, it's sort of like white knuckle driving because I'm not used to driving in snow and I'm not used to driving on ice. And there were both of those things. It was sudden, it was unexpected. That particular stretch of road, after we finally got through, they shut down for the first time in like two or three years because it was so bad. Uh, and as we're driving along, you know, I'm, I'm clutched like this, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm driving a rental car, big old SUV, never knew each name. So I'm not familiar with that, not familiar with the snow. I got cars that are coming both ways, sliding all over the place. Uh, uh, what should have been an hour drive was a three hour drive. It was, not, it was not pleasant. I was not comfortable uh, with it. And I, was, I mean, you know, I was thinking, I'm going to slide off the road because you're driving, this was not in flat country, right? So you're on the edge uh, a lot of times of, of a precipice. Uh, I was fearful during that particular drive. My kids were in the back seat, though. I mean, they're not really paying attention. Much like when I was a kid, uh, and we would be in, not blizzards, but similar kinds of storms, right? I mean, I would sit in the back. I didn't worry about whether we were going to make it uh, or not because dad had it under control. It never, ever, 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 ever crossed my mind that an accident was even possible, right? I was totally confident, uh, you know, in dad's ability to get us where we needed to go. I didn't need to check his credentials, you know, can I see your driver's license? Uh, you know, when's the last time you drove in a storm like this? Uh, you know, I... And I, I, total confidence, total trust uh, that dad could get us where we needed to go. Uh, I knew that he loved us, 
you know, I knew that he wanted to take care uh, of us. Uh, and uh, I had some evidence, of course, to support uh, that. He had gotten us through a few storms uh, before. You know, I was never, ever in an accident with him. I don't know if that's a normal thing, but never, ever, ever was, uh, were we in, in an accident. Uh, he was always just a very, very safe, good driver. Um, total confidence. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Even with a storm raging around us, we're confident, right? Confident in our Heavenly Father that he loves us, that he knows what's going on in our lives, and that he's powerful to get us where he wants us to go. Last week, we said that when our active faith intersects with God's faithfulness, our faith grows. When our faith grows, we experience God. When we experience God's faithfulness through that act of faith, we're like that guy who can build a house that will survive a Category 5 hurricane. Doesn't mean he's not going to take on some damage. Doesn't mean the lights aren't going to flicker a little bit, but he's going to make it through. As our faith grows and gets stronger and stronger and stronger, not only are we going to be able to endure those huge storms, but we're going to honor our God in the process, and then he is going to honor us. We talked last week about the importance of having a faith that does, uh, and not just a faith that believes. You know, Jesus certainly talked a lot about believing, but his teaching always involved action. It always involved doing something. Uh, there's a series out right now uh, that some of you may have seen it. I honestly do not watch a lot of television, uh, but it's called The Chosen. Uh, I don't know. Maybe nobody's ever heard of that. Okay. It's a thing. Uh, it's out there. It's a, series, it's a new series that's been made about the life of Jesus. Cassie's been watching it uh, a little bit. I kind of walk, walk through the living room and catch bits and pieces uh, of it. I'm always kind of skeptical, I guess, a little bit about that kind of a thing. But the part that I saw the other day was where uh, Jesus uh, meets uh, Peter, James, and John on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You know, they're the fishermen, they're fishing. You know, they meet. Um, and it reminded me of this series because what does Jesus say to Peter, James, and John when he sees them? Right. Believe in me. No, right? He says, follow me, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, you're going to have to get out of your boat. Leave your comfort zone. Do something. Now, and I'm going to mention this a couple of times today, Peter didn't have to get out of the boat, okay? Jesus didn't hypnotize him. Jesus didn't use a Jedi mind trick, right? <laughs> Peter didn't have to get out of the boat. He could have stayed in the boat. He could have stayed in the boat, and he could have stayed in the boat and still believed in God. Um, he could have lived the quiet life of a fisherman, a hard life, but a quiet life, right? No real risk involved. He could have had good days and bad days, like we all do. He could have showed up for church every couple of weeks, done his thing. But Jesus did not just call people to believe in him. He called people to follow him, to do something to take action, to put his teaching into practice. Um, and Peter, James, and John did follow. It was an act of faith. They stepped out of the boat. 
They put their trust in the Messiah, and they experienced God like no one has ever experienced God. One of the most famous examples of those guys experiencing God takes place in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start there this morning. Before I get into those verses, however, uh, I want to give you just a little background because I think it's always important when we're reading things, especially in Scripture, to realize that there's a context for it. These aren't events taking place in isolation. Uh, so right before the verses that we're fixing to read, um, John the Baptist, you might remember him, be familiar with him. Uh, John the Baptist had been uh, arrested. He had been arrested by a guy named Herod Antipas, not to be confused with Herod the Great. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Herod Antipas was not a good guy. Uh, he had married his brother's wife. His brother was Philip. He married uh, Herodias, Philip's wife. That was not the kind of thing that you were supposed to do, but Herod didn't care because he was Herod. John the Baptist preached against Herod's actions, and as a result, he made Herod mad. He got arrested. John is in the dungeon. Um, rots there for a little while. Jesus doesn't do anything. Seemingly. Herodias' daughter, one uh, evening, the, uh, Herod and his buddies are sitting in their banquet room. Uh, Herodias' daughter comes in, does a dance for them. Uh, suffice it to say, it got them worked up. They were uh, enamored by her. Herod uh, offered her anything, up to half of his kingdom, she doesn't ask for a car or money. She just walks out and goes and sees her mama and says, Mama, what do you want me to ask for? Mama says, I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head on a meat platter. So she goes back in and says, hey, I want John the Baptist's head on a meat platter. Herod is taken aback, but he's already made his commitment in front of his buddies. doesn't want to look like a wimp. He agrees, and John loses his head, uh, and Jesus does nothing. Jesus finds out about uh, this, the loss of John, uh, and what does he do? Well, he goes to the lake, actually, as it turns out, and that's where we find him in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 14, in verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed with God. If you, if you have, uh, you're not alone. Uh, there were a lot of people that were disappointed with what Jesus did not do in this instance. Uh, they didn't understand it. Uh, they didn't know what his purpose was in it. Uh, and Certainly his disciples and the men that had followed John didn't understand what was going on. Uh, and, and, and honestly, Jesus didn't explain himself uh, in it. Um, he goes, withdraws by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14, 
when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he healed the sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, of course, I would imagine also the apostles wanted to get some food uh, as well. But, hey, it's the, these people that you're teaching, you got to send them away because there's, no, there's nothing for them here. Jesus replied, verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, we find out a little later in the story that there were 5,000 men, right? So there could have been 10,000 people or more. I mean, because that does 5,000 men, that's not including women and children. And there were women and children there. You can see why this would have seemed like a, uh, an overwhelming task to his disciples, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, and of course, you know, these guys had seen Jesus do miracles already. They had seen him raise someone from the dead. So you would think that they would have said, you know, oh, great Lord, it seems impossible. But we know with you all things are possible. So tell us what you want us to do. But that's not what they said, because they're real people, right? Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us this, but Mark tells us exactly how they responded to him. Mark 6, 37, his disciples said, that would take more than half a year's wages. I like to think of it in a whiny apostle voice, right? That would take over half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You don't have any idea what you're asking of us, teacher. Jesus doesn't respond to them directly. He just asks them for what they have. Matthew 14, 17, he asks them for what they have, and they say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answered. So, what they have is this. This is my Sixth grade vintage Star Trek The Next Generation lunchbox. They have 10,000 people. And to feed them, they have this. I was super cool in sixth grade. That's what they had to work with. Jesus says in verse 18... Bring them here to me. Bring me what you got. 10,000 people. I mean, just, and I think that might be a low estimate, honestly. This, we're on that in a minute. Um, I am, and I would say this to her if she was here, my wife's not here. In this morning, but I would say this to her face if she was here. Uh, I am very, very proud of my wife. Not only is she beautiful, um, but she's just a better human being than I am. I mean, she's just a better person than I am. Um, might surprise you guys to learn that I can be a not very nice person sometimes, but she's just a nice 
person. Um, she's always had compassion. It's one of the things that attracted me uh, to her. Uh, and she's always had passion for certain things. And one of those things uh, are pro-life causes. Um, a few years ago, she felt God nudging her uh, to, to do something about that. So she started volunteering uh, a couple of days a week at Safe Harbor. Safe Harbor is a, uh, well, you guys, I hope know uh, by now, but it helps women with unplanned pregnancies and specifically um, choosing life. Uh, so she started volunteering there a couple of days a week, and doing that required that she devote some time to training, uh, which not really easy. Um, but the biggest thing was just she had to get out of her comfort zone, right? And being in, you know being in a one-on-one -on -one situation with women, counseling with them, women who come from very, very different backgrounds, okay, out of all kinds of situations. I mean, you cannot even believe the kind of situations that they come from. All of them had one thing in common, though, right? They're making a pivotal choice, life-changing choice in their lives and in the life of that child. Choose life. Don't choose life. Um, you know, getting involved in people's lives like that is is can be messy, right? People are messy. It's emotionally draining, emotionally draining. I mean, you know, she would, I mean, I thought my day was hard. I mean, she would come home just exhausted from, from just the, the emotional aspect of it. But mostly, I think, in that's kind of a situation, especially when you start out, you just feel like, hey, I, I'm unqualified here, you know. I don't know what, uh, what I'm doing. Uh, but she did all the training, she did all the courses, everything required to respond properly in different situations. But I, I know there were a lot of days when she just felt overwhelmed and unqualified to help the women and the girls that she met. But she did that for a while, and she had good days uh, with it, I think, and bad days. Uh, days that felt like wins and days that felt like losses. Uh, and after a while, though, she felt God nudging her to do more. Uh, she was burdened for those uh, young women, young mothers, girls, uh, who had made the decision to keep their babies but lacked a meaningful support system. There's a lot of that, a lot of it. Some of them almost completely alone used and abandoned. You say, hey, keep your baby. And they say, what am I gonna do when I do that? Mostly, they just lacked hope. Hope for the future. Hope is a powerful thing when you have it. It's a terrible thing when you don't have it. She believed it wasn't enough just to convince someone to choose life, but that more needed to be done. And uh, she didn't know exactly what, and then she learned about Embrace Grace. And as you guys know now, Embrace Grace is an organization with the mission of supporting women who have unplanned pregnancies. These women learn about the love of Jesus and also receive physical and material support that they need. It's kind of hard to describe what a dawning task it was at the beginning of this, right, when, the, when that ministry started. Uh, nobody in our area was doing it, and there's, so there's nobody to learn from. Uh, 
Cassie had never done anything like that before. We didn't really have the right facilities for it. You know, she didn't know if anybody would even come. If you've ever been involved in ministry, you know what that feeling is like. You're planning, you're planning, you work, and you work, and you work, and you work, and you're inviting, you're inviting, you're inviting, you invite. And then you don't know. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. If they did come, she wasn't sure if she would be able to meet their needs. There were all kinds of things that had to be done in order to get it started. And I can tell you that, once again, she felt inadequate. It was tempting to say, and we sat around in our living room more than one occasion, this is too much. You know, this is a lot. You're already doing something over here. It's more than most people do. Um, you got, we got a lot going on in our lives right now. Uh, everything is busy. Um, it's too hard. This is too hard. But she didn't say that, Right? I'm just going to brag on my wife a little bit this morning. I hope you don't mind. Uh, She knew that God was nudging her to do more. So she stepped out with the abilities and the passions that he gave her. Didn't feel like enough. Right? But she was attempted to do something. And some of you were a part of that. Some of you have been a part of that. And together, we created an environment suitable, a warm environment, suitable uh, for the Embrace Grace ministry. And as it turned out, women did come, like all kinds, from all kinds of backgrounds. And Cassie uh, and these women that helped her, like Holly and others, they have worked um, together and had the opportunity to show God's love to these women who might have never, ever, ever seen it otherwise. And to give them meaningful spiritual and material support. And again, some of you have been a part of that too. Most of you are familiar, you know, most of you are familiar with the ministry. You know kind of all that stuff that I just said. Uh, What you probably don't know is that when many of these women have their babies now, they call Cassie and ask if she'll be in the delivery room with them. For some of them, she's the only person that they got that they know gives a rip about them. I've spent more than a few nights at home by myself while she's been, you know, in the uh, hospital with, with women. She spent many days and nights now holding the hands of women and girls Girls, young, young girls, as they've delivered uh, babies. Some of those babies are one and two years old, right? And uh, you can see a, a couple of examples right there. Actually, there's three examples in that picture if you look closely. Their mothers send pictures to Cassie of these babies on their birthdays. They invite her, if they're local still, they invite her to their birthday parties. She has an ongoing influence in their lives. Again, for most of them, the only picture of Jesus that they will ever see. And she would tell you uh, that it can be frustrating and scary and exhausting because people are involved. 
But when you see God use you to make a meaningful difference in someone else's life, something happens. I mean, it's amazing. It, it strengthens your faith. And you experience God. She felt, as we all do from time to time, weak, unqualified, inadequate. I mean, and let's be, I mean, let's be honest. She was. On her own. But she felt God's calling, so she said yes. Put this on screen. Pushing through our inadequacies in order to say yes to God for the benefit of others grows our faith. You are inadequate, I'm sorry. You're inadequate. I'm inadequate. On our own. Maybe you felt that kind of nudging before on something. Your heart is broken over some need that you see in the world. Maybe for you, maybe it's the unborn, but maybe it's the hungry, the abused. Maybe it's just kids that are growing up uh, without the knowledge of how to properly defend their faith, going out into a hostile world that's gonna eat them for lunch. Maybe it's something else, and you want to do something, but it seems too hard. It's too much. You're too busy, right? I mean, you got, this, is just a, this is just a hard time in your life. You don't have the talent or the experience. You might fail. Personal ministry, right? Personal ministry positions us to experience God's power in our weakness, and his faithfulness in response to our acts of faith. You say, I know I could not have done that on my own, but God used me. Your confidence in what God can and will do, your faith grows as God uses you, and you experience God again and again and again. It's what mature Christians do. It's what maturing Christians do. Some of you have sat in a seat for a very long time. Some of you have been Christians for a very long time, but maybe you haven't been followers doing something, stepping out, seeing how God responds, having your faith grow as you mature as a child of God. Let's go back to the loaves and fishes for just a minute. All right. Just to recap. The disciples say, we see a problem, Jesus. 10,000 hungry people. Do something. There's a problem, Jesus. Do something. What would they think to do? Send them away because that's the logical solution. That's the only thing that makes sense. I see a problem, Jesus. I want you to do something about it. What does Jesus say? You do it. What do the disciples say? This is all we got. This is it. Jesus says, 
bring me what you got. Now, I don't know, maybe they expected Jesus to say, oh, oh, that's it? It's my mistake. I thought you had more to work with. This is terrible. It's too hard. This would be too hard for me. I can't use this. This is not enough. Sorry, everybody. You're on your own. Go, go, go into town and find something to eat. Maybe that's what they expected him to say when they presented it to him. But we know what happens next. Matthew 14, verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You know, Jesus knew he had a limited time. For three years of ministry. He knew that he had a limited time on earth to instill in his followers the active, enduring faith that they were going to need for the challenges that lay ahead of them. You know what? These same guys, they're like, this is all we got, Jesus. These same guys wouldn't be long before Jesus would be leaving and he would be handing over the whole operation to them. And say, and you know, you're familiar with the operation, it's called the Great Commission. And saying, you go. The most important job I think anybody could have. You go into all the world and preach the gospel. A daunting, overwhelming task, which on their own, they were going to be completely inadequate. And he wanted them to learn that all they had to do was everything they could do. And trust him to do what only he could do. All they had to do was bring him all that they had. And that's all that he asked of you and me, right? We're standing here holding our lunchbox. Making excuses as to why it's not enough. You have your excuse, you know what it is. Everybody thinks they're special. Everybody thinks they're in a unique place in their life right now, you're not that special. Sorry. We're standing here holding our lunchbox with excuses. It's not enough, can't do it, I'm scared, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus is saying, bring me what you got. He says to you and to me, you do what you can do And trust me to do what only I can do. You do what you can do. And you trust me to do what only I can do. And that's the way. That's it. It's that simple. But you can say no. Right? Plenty of people had. Plenty of people before you have. Jesus called. There were people that said no to Jesus. Wasn't enough. See, rich young ruler. You don't even know his name. There's plenty of people who said no. You don't know their names and you never will. 
too hard, too much, too uncomfortable. Plenty of people have believed, but not followed. Plenty of people are sitting in churches this morning. You could stand out in the parking lot right now, throw a rock in any direction and hit a church in this county. Churches are full of people this morning that believe, but don't follow. There are only two things that last forever. Two. People. Right? Every person ever conceived will exist forever somewhere. Every person ever conceived will exist forever somewhere. That is a powerful and sobering truth. Those little people that you made, they'll never go out of existence, ever. The only question is whether a person will exist forever with God or forever separated from him. And that thought should move you. It should move you. People. And the second thing that lasts forever, what you do for God on this planet while you're here. First Corinthians 1558, Paul has just got done giving his really, really powerful message about how death has been defeated. Death has lost its sting. We know how the story ends. Even in your sorrow and your pain, let me tell you what's going to happen. The victory belongs to God. Death has no power. And then he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. New Living Translation says it like this. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We spend a lot of our weeks doing useless things. You know, sometimes I go mow my grass just so that I can see that I've actually accomplished something. It's therapeutic. But even that, I mean, grass grows back, right? Because you just feel like, what am I doing? We spend a lot of time Necessary, but ultimately useless things. But nothing you do for God, Christian will remember that we've read this first a few times in staff meetings over the years. Nothing you ever do for God is useless. Let me tell you something else. There is a direct correlation between what you do in the service of God here on earth and the rewards and honor you will receive from your Lord one day. There is a direct correlation between what you do 
in the service of God here on earth and the rewards and honor you will receive from the Lord one day. And that day is coming. Right? And I mean, this is one of the things that maybe you have to spend a little time around death to have it driven home for you. But I'll help you. You are here. Out here is a fixed date, point in time. Only God knows it. But there is a day when it is all over. All over. And when that day comes, what's going to matter to you? Because you're going to continue to exist. You're going to continue to exist. Brother C is somewhere doing something right now. He still exists. There is a day coming, and the only thing that's going to matter to you is what matters to God. The people whose lives that you've influenced for him and what you did for God on this earth, that's all that's going to last. One of the great benefits of serving God, too, is that it helps you remember that truth, that the eternal is greater than the temporary. I think I had that on screen. Um, I'm not a tattoo guy. If I was, this is a tattoo that I think I would get. Eternal, greater than temporary. Don't get me wrong, the temporary is important. We all have to eat and live indoors, okay? We gotta go to work, we gotta do those things. I get it. It's temporary, though. We deal with the temporary every day all the time. It screams for our attention. Meanwhile, the eternal sits quietly in the background. It doesn't scream. It just waits. And then one day, it's here. Um, I hope you guys don't mind. Um, I talk about my dad a little bit. It's hard for me to be up here and not think about him. Uh, and... Uh, I made a promise um, that when I got the chance, whenever I got the chance, I would share with people, you know, sort of how it was at the end. And if you watched my um, dad's 50th thing where I did the, nobody was here because COVID, et cetera, but um, you may have watched it online. I talked about his 50 years in the ministry. My dad was a guy who gave everything he had. Everything he had. He said to God, use it whenever, however, wherever, you want. It's not for me, it's for you. This is what I got. And God did. And countless lives were changed. Right? 
He was here. And then he was here. And when he was here, only two things that mattered anymore. If you were here um, for his service that came later, I told a story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell it again. Except just to say that when he was fighting for his life, he was trying to serve people. Right? He was trying, he was reaching out to people in the middle of pain and confusion and suffering. It was so ingrained into him. So ingrained. He was thinking about you. Everything he had, every time, any place, to his very last. And then eternity came. And it's going to come for me, and it's going to come for you. The question is, I mean, are you ready? And are you living your life every day with that in mind, that the eternal is greater than the temporary? Here are some questions to consider before we close. What breaks your heart? What makes you say, I got to do something? about that? What burden has God given you? Where is he calling you to serve? Are you ready to experience his faithfulness in your life? Or are you just good where you're at? Comfortable? Do you want to keep making excuses? I want to invite you to make this commitment today. I will do what I can do and I will trust God to do what only he can do. I will step out and I will take the next step and the next step and the next step. And I don't know what's five steps away, just know what the next step is. And that's the walk. People talk about walking by faith. Most time people don't even know what that means. That's walking by faith. That's a walk that builds an enduring, God-honoring faith. You will see God's faithfulness. Your faith will grow. You will find out that you can not only endure through the tough times of this life, but you can do it with joy, peace, and be prepared to receive the honor and glory that God wants to give to you and that you will give back to him on that day that's coming. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to stand up here this morning speak from your word. I thank you for examples of people who have given you what they had. No 
matter how inadequate it seemed, how inadequate it was, willing to be used by you to be inconvenienced, to be uncomfortable, to be scared, choosing instead to risk it all for you. I pray today for me and for all who are here that we would not be content to be spectators, to simply believe, check off our church box every Sunday, walk away, make excuses for why we aren't really following, not really doing. Help us to remember that the eternal is greater than the temporary, that there is coming a day day when all of this temporary will be done when we will stand before you and we will give an account of what we did on this planet for the brief time that we had I pray that for each of us when we stand before you you would say we would allow you to say well done good and faithful servant because we gave you all that we had Help us to trust you to do what only you can do. Thank you for milestone and the opportunity to serve you here. In Jesus' name.